computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest, uh, I was about to say basketball index, Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. I am your host, Tim. You know me as Cranjus McBasketball on Twitter. And we are joined by a very special guest, uh, Mike Garcia. Uh, at Canyon Driver, just, I believe it's still the handle on Twitter. You probably know him. I, I mean, we've had him on before. He's been in the Lakers Lakers Twitter world for a while. Um, I remember meeting Mike back in, in Vegas at Summer League and just sitting down watching games. And, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, that boy, nice. And Mike's like, that guy's, you know, 6'4", and he can jump this high. And, you know, this is what his mother's <laughs> maiden name is. And, like, he just knew everything about every prospect. So it right now is the perfect time to bring him on. We got the draft coming up. Uh, if you listen to any other Lakers podcast, you also know him because he's been yeah. on all of them. Uh, so we're going to try <laughs> to mix it up a little bit, be laid back, ask some some different questions. But Mike, Mike, how you doing? Are you you getting there? Are you excited for draft day at this point, or are you just ready to go to bed? <laughs> uh, no, I'm still excited about draft day. The best thing about it is how mysterious it's going to be. There's not a lot of guys that are pigeonholed between like. Oh, 25 to 30, there's a wide variance where guys could go from 20 all the way down to 40. Same thing for the later half. And it's a whole mystery box of how those guys are going to land. So it'll be interesting how to see that pans out. Absolutely. And so you've been doing this for a bit. Do you prefer years like this where there is that wide variance and you like have to be prepped for a bunch of dudes? Or do you like it where it's Lakers are picking third or fifth or second? And I need to look at like five to seven guys and dig real deep. Do you have a preference just from your perspective? Uh, chaos is a ladder, man. Um, <laughs> I said that to my fiance today. <laughs> so so uh, what I usually do is I'll make a draft list of guys, generally about 40, 45 guys of the ones that I think are most likely to make the league. And then just cross off the names right at the top, kind of go in order. So regardless of, what the draft position actually is. It's still the guy remaining on the list. Now, I expect different teams to have different boards because they might trust their development team well or they have a specific offense that they want to run. So they'll line it up for a specific prospect. But I'm just looking for guys to make the league. So in that sense, it makes it easier. Okay. And from your perspective, thinking about the Lakers with their draft board and how they may be putting things together, how would you, what, what would you imagine their mindset is in terms of their internal development and, you know, maybe specific offense or like, what are the needs you'd say from them? Maybe not like a specific player, a specific type of player, but like, what would their general priorities be going into this draft? Do you think? I mean, the shooting has to be the priority, right? I mean, mm -hmm. gravity, we, you need to pull players into the paint. You need to pull them out of the paint. You need to make all the space in between. You need to open up all the lanes and you can create greater rim gravity by having guys being able to attack the basket, not just dump it in the post, right? Right. So I think the Lakers are aware of how important shooting actually is, especially for a team built around LeBron and AD, who are at the rim constantly. So that's one of the key areas of focus. And then the other part is kind of being mindful of the kind of defenders these guys are while limiting their foul trouble and being able to affect the game in 
one specific position really well or just being uh, defensively versatile between two or three positions, depending on how the matchups kind of work out. So between those two critical things, really, I think that's what they're looking for. Okay, that sounds about right. I, if they're thinking that, I think we'll be happy because because that's yeah. definitely what this team needs. Now, looking at this draft class and comparing it with prior ones, maybe projecting forward to future ones, it, does it overall, does it stack up? Is it a good class? Is it a bad class? Is it a front-loaded class? Is it a deep class? And then are there specific positions that you'd see, uh, you know, maybe this is a strong center class or a weak point guard class. Like what, what stands out to you as we're trying to calibrate? Because maybe, you know, an early second round shooting guard this year is going to be worse than an early second round shooting guard from last year. So the thing I've noticed with, let's just start with recent NBA drafts. I think draft classes have just generally gotten deeper where, you know, the classes go 60 picks. There's, you have your 300 plus guys that declare, but you'll usually find two to five guys that go undrafted for whatever reason. And it'll be one of those things where like Austin or Joel Yayi last year, I had them ranked and they were both picked up. Yayi was well worth a shot. He played within a certain system. They didn't really work out as a Laker, but he played mm-hmm. so well at the college level, you can't really ignore it. And then there was Austin who has the motor and the physicality at a guard spot and he was able to show his defensive ability with the shooting as well and you know i look at the draft differently than other scouts i think all scouts disagree at some level but i had you know austin as a first round rank because you know i don't really look at oh he's age 23 or he's a little bit thinner than the other guard or maybe he should be bigger for his age whatever that might be can he shoot yeah can he defend yeah i mean does he run offenses great so that's how that kind of turns out. But with this specific class, this is the rare time I wish the Lakers had that mid-first to mid-second pick. There's a ton of wings in this draft specifically. And as I mentioned earlier, chaos is a letter. I can imagine guys getting drafted and stashed or teams taking on more project type of players, quote unquote, and investing in them while guys that can play more readily available, at least uh, through my view, slip all the way down to that mid-first to mid-second round pick at the Lakers would likely play that guy. So that's what it looked like. Point guard class, not so great. I wish it was better. I trust more rings, more wings running the offense more than certain point guards. Center class, not bad, could be better, but there's a tons, tons of threes and twos and a lot of stretch four types. So, I mean, I have certain guys ranked like 14th and 15th that are continuously ranked late first round. And like Marjan Bochamp stands out to me the most. And I keep thinking that Denver is going to get him because he's a three and D uh, wing who has a, a lot of athleticism and he plays with a lot of power and he has verticality and he has a semblance of a three point shot and he plays solid man, man, uh, man on defense. So that's the kind of guy I wish the Lakers would go for but that's what that class looks like this year interesting okay so not a good class for point guards I heard you say there are a lot of threes there are a lot of shooting guards some stretch fours I, I like anytime I'm hearing that there's shooting available because because that's going to be a big thing for this team and you mentioned the age piece with Austin Reeves and and I think the Lakers are in not a unique position but they're one of the teams in a position where like they have roster spots available they have minutes available and they need guys who can just play and what the guy, how much upside he has 
five, eight years from now shouldn't be as important to them as it might be for other teams based on what they're trying to do short term. And I can understand how that might, you know, play to their advantage in certain ways, because there may be guys that, like you mentioned, are, are getting passed up by teams looking for those projects. When we're looking at where the Lakers might be buying into the second round, we've heard that they're interested. They've, I mean, they've said they're interested. How high in that second round is there, is there any particular drop-off you think at any certain point? Like if they get like a almost, you know, last 10 picks or middle second round, early second round, is there any particular spot you'd really, really be wanting to get into? Obviously the earlier, the better, but you know, does it flatten out, drop off at, at certain points? Uh, according to my general draft list, and I'll, I'll post it on Twitter again, but once it gets around say 35 to 40, I think there's a little bit of, of a drop-off. Now, I have guys ranked around that 35 to 40 range that in community mock drafts on Twitter that I participate in, they're continuously marked as late second round or undrafted guys. Well, I value hmm. certain things okay. more than others, right? I don't care about the age so much or maybe not as much on the athletic part. Just do they have the skill set? And that's usually what I'm looking for, so I'll rank them higher. But that 40 mark is is generally where it's at. And as I mentioned earlier, the that 20 to 40 range, there's like 10 to 15 wings just within that general draft range that I'd be like, oh man, the Lakers got a great guy. So nice. that's where the cutoff is for sure. Okay, awesome. Now let's think about what kinds of roles the Lakers could be looking for. Uh, I'll start with a, maybe a stretch big, a stretch five, because I, I think having someone that could do some of that rim protection defensively but stretch the floor offensively would allow Anthony Davis spacing on offense to play in the post or, you know, spacing for guys to drive while on the defensive end, allow AD to slot more into that kind of helper position. He's excelled in, in the past, rather than being the center involved in the action and then not being able to use his skills rotating. And as a secondary defender, what guys within that general uh, archetype or role of player do you see uh, that, that have caught your eye? So one of them is Christian Coloco from Arizona. Um, he's shown some range from that general area. He's shown some rim protection and basically is more of a rim threat than a three-point threat. That center slot altogether is pretty thin, especially in terms of being a stretch five overall. Okay. If the Lakers were really willing to take a risk, um, one shot that I would consider and there's a lot that'll go into this decision, is Patrick Baldwin Jr. Now, he's generally thought of as a wing because of his ability to catch and shoot three, actually shoot motion threes, attack the rim in the straight lines. Those are wing skill sets. But he's about 6'10", and he's got seven-foot-plus wingspan. And so where's, where's the downside? And the downside is he's not exactly ready to play that uh, wing position defensively so you have to play him as a big he has a size for it and then when you watch him kind of defend along the perimeter say out of a pick and roll situation he's a drop coverage big you know there's there are certain issues uh, with his health that he had to deal with before I hope he's doing a lot better with his ankle injuries and whatnot but there's something really intriguing about let's say a stretch five that maybe isn't so much of a rim protector but at least on the offense, then really offers that weak skill set where you can't ignore that three-point shot. He's going to draw the gravity. He has that kind of volume. 
the percentages don't look great. You have to go all the way back to the high school tape. But, and you also have to look at the, uh, the types of shots that he was taking, lots of pull-up shots, shots of motion, whatever it might be. It looked better earlier in the year than later in the year when the injury got re-aggravated. But that's, that's a big risk for, for the Lakers. And, you know, if they were willing to take it, I'd be shocked. But he was uh, considered a, a top-tier top prospect out of high school. So if we're looking for that specific archetype, that's what I would look for first, especially in terms of focusing on shooting from the five spot. Gotcha. Is, is Baldwin someone who you think could slip to being an undrafted guy? If so, I would imagine you're more, much more willing to take that risk or is he someone you'd have to lock into with a draft pick? Um, I, I think you still have to draft him. There's, there's okay. a weird part where there's this COVID season and player development got stunted for a lot mm-hmm. of guys. And so there's this weird part where usually you have continuous development year to year to year. And all of a sudden there's this kind of, break of basketball games and not everybody develops in the same rate especially when you know seasons get interrupted so when a team sees a a great high school prospect and he has that kind of size it's kind of tough to ignore so I imagine you have to lock him in now first round pick that's a risk that NBA teams will have to take I don't know if the Lakers are willing to make that kind of risk overall but if the Lakers let's say have two second round picks then sure, why not? I mean, they have a great South Bay South Bay uh, development team. Give them a shot there, let them heal up, and then take it from there on out. So that's what it looks like. Okay, awesome. So those are some of your favorite stretch bigs. When we move to guys who might just be more off ball, they could be guards, they could be wings. I'm just looking for someone that can shoot offensively and defensively can hold their own, whether it be at the point of attack, whether it be as a wing stopper, whether it be more in a chaser role, like just competent defense that can shoot the ball. <laughs> I don't care if they can't dribble. I'm all right yeah. with limited playmaking. Like yeah. at this point, you're going to have to find, some, you know, there will be holes and we're a team that can accommodate some of those holes because it doesn't matter as much. Who, who are some yeah. of those guys from your perspective? So one of the guys that I wrote about uh, as soon as this draft season started was Keon Ellis. He was the first prospect that really stood out to me. Um, He's listed as 6'6", and he came out in the combine measurements as 6'3 without shoes, which is slightly disappointing. I weigh more than him, which is more disappointment on my behalf. But the guy has unreal motor. He really does. Um, He's a point-of-attack defender, and he... I mean, he gets thin around screens. Here's already thin. It's ready advantage. But the thing is, he keeps up laterally, laterally on the on drive penetration. And then he'll still contest. You know how, like, defenders, they'll get blown by sometimes or just slightly beat and then still contest at the rim for the ball. He's the mm-hmm. kind of guard that can do that. Nice. So that, that speaks to me about his, def- his focus, defensive intensity, his athletic ability, how he uses his, uh, his physical tools to actually affect the game defensively. And then on top of that, high volume three-point shooting, lots of catch-and-shoot shots, mid-30% to higher mid-30 or higher 30% range, every corner of the floor. Um, I didn't really see a ton of shots that were like 30 feet out, but he's comfortable with that NBA range for now. So in my mind, I just see Keon Ellis, point of attack defender, high motor, maybe he gets pushed around a little bit because of NBA physicality, and that's fine, but Here's a guy that I trust will stretch the floor that can be a reliable defender. And most importantly, he made the transition from being kind of like a foul prone defensive guard and then reining all that in with some discipline and still being able to force some turnovers and get blocked shots at the same time. 
So I don't remember the steal rate block rate offhand, but I remember I remember they were like outrageously good for his general draft selection. Okay, nice. I'm looking at his synergy stats right now. Really, really good spot up player. He was used in off screen situations. It wasn't all that efficient, but in general was a, a good three point shooter. And so maybe he's someone that would fit in as like a point of attack defender and a movement shooter on offense. A, a little bit, but he, you know, it's a, that's a big stretch for, for a rookie, especially adjusting to an okay. NBA. stationary shooter on offense. Stationary shooter. <laughs> but the thing is I'll trust him to make those shots. Those okay. were contested shots, right? So that's what we're, that's what I look for in terms of shooting, and he's able to hit those. Nice. Okay, I'll take that. That that sounds like <laughs> the right kind of guy. Yeah. Let's see. On guarded threes, he shot thirty five percent, and it was yeah. like more than half of his threes. So, yeah, that's it's, that's it's impressive. a lot of volume. It's a lot of sample, and it's hard for me to ignore, especially with that kind of volume. So, mm-hmm. absolutely. Now, if he's gone, uh, who are some other? wing or guard shooters that can hold their own defensively okay so the other guy i think about is julian champany go ahead take your time to search him real quick on on, on twitter g <laughs> julian. There we go. all right thank there we go thank you google oh, google cool. was able to auto fill <laughs> so the thing about julian is uh i think he declared last year and then he came back again to to st john's and his twin brother, Justin, I think he plays for Toronto. And the funny part is Justin is the power forward. Julian is the guard. And what I mean by Julian is the guard is he got high usage, a lot of ISO touches, a lot of contested three-point shooting with a hand in his face. And he's not the kind of NBA athlete where, oh, he's really quick laterally or he's especially a great jumper, whatever it might be. But he plays physical defense. And I think that goes far for this particular Laker team. Just provide some resistance, move your feet in the right spot, use your chest to absorb some of the contact to kind of deter drives just a little bit, use the arms. I think he has a 6'11 wingspan, and then he has a standing reach of uh, power forward, which is really unusual for a guard. Off the top of my head, I think it's uh, 8 foot 11, and usually power forwards are around 8'9", eight, 8'9 nine, eight, nine and a half. So wow. it would be really peculiar to actually use him at a four slot or at a three slot because he's got the reach to do it. But he's a guy that is competent defensively. Like, let me rewind this a little bit. We think of Danny Green, right? Mm-hmm. When we think of Danny Green, does, do we see him as a guy that attacked a lot of closeouts? Not really. No. Do we think of him as particularly fast? No. Not really a high jumper. But what does he do? He's in the right spots. He goes to the corner. He's solid defensively. And that's the kind of role that I see Champagny in as well. Um, even when he got switched onto bigs, he still tries to keep low with his base and hold his position. He uses the chest bump to try to deter a little bit, uh, show some degree of verticality. And, you know, I don't speak as highly or glowingly of his athleticism compared to like someone like Keon Ellis, but the steal rate and block rate is still there. And that's what surprised me. I'm like, you're this kind of athlete. You have quick hands and you know how to hold your spots defensively. That's kind of what the Lakers are looking for, at least from my side. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, fun fact for you. 72% of his catch and shoot threes this year were contested. That's, yeah. that's a ridiculous percentage. That's, that is bad. <laughs> that is just a bad offense maybe, or maybe a little bit of a, maybe a shot selection problem. Perhaps? He, was, he, was, he was, there was a little bit of shot selection part of it. Sure. He was definitely a high usage player at St. John's. 
And I think that usage is going to be wound down a little bit, especially compared to NBA players. You're going to rely on your best creators to get the higher usage, right? Mm -hmm. But can he fulfill that 3 and D role? Does he have the skill set to do that? Absolutely. And I always think about the kind of shots that he's going to see. Do you want the guy right in front of you as you get the ball in triple threat, uh, in triple threat position and then just kind of shoot over that hand? Or do you want a guy running out to you trying to leap over towards your shooting hand? Some guys are more comfortable with the other. He took a ton of those shots 1v1 and his shot never looked deterred. Hmm. So, okay. you know, if he can handle that kind of contest and shoot a decent percentage, great. Hit contested shots. That's what we're looking for, especially mid 30%. Great. Yeah. So that'd be, that'd be ideal for the Lakers. And have the Lakers worked out either of these two guys? Keon uh, Ellis, yes. Uh, I think Patrick Baldwin Jr., oh, well, according to Sil Silver Screen and Rolls article that I saw most recently, uh, with Patrick Baldwin Jr., they had a combine interview. I don't know about an official workout. Um, this will lead me to the guy that they worked out twice in Cold Spider. I'm sure you want to talk about him. That, that was the, I was going to segue into that, yes. <laughs> so, um, honestly, I caught, him, caught on to him late in the draft cycle, which means just really recently. And the first thing I noticed is not the percentage, but the amount of contested shots he takes. He takes a lot. And that means he's, it tells me that he draws a lot of defensive gravity to that three-point line. Um, I took a general look at his stats uh, overall for, on sports reference. And even on his tape, whether it's catch and shoot or one dribble, two dribble pull-ups, he looks comfortable and the form doesn't change. That says a lot especially on my behalf. And one small concern I, I do have with them is we probably expect them to be that wing where we would like a bigger guy that's hopefully around 6'9 or so. I think the height is there. I can find official measurements, but they all float around 6'9 as a height. That's great. Uh, hopefully, um, there's a little bit more to the wingspan and projecting defense. But you were, you told me earlier you saw a lot of him at Villanova. Do you want to speak up to his defense a little bit? Uh, well, so at Villanova, like you were saying, great shooter, seems super natural, very comfortable. You hear like people talk like, oh, like Ken Griffey swinging a bat, so natural. Like that's him shooting <laughs> yeah. a basketball. Yeah, that's um, what it looks like. And would hit some tough shots. But yeah, the defense was not good. Just yeah. it, it was I, – I didn't see him at Syracuse. Um but at Villanova, he was somebody that I was constantly like, this guy's not doing the right things. Right. So that, that was one of my concerns as well. And I think that his transfer to Syracuse might have helped him look a little bit better defensively because it kind of opens up your awareness when you're playing zone, right? Do I help off my guy? I'm in this general area. I see this pass coming to X player. I'm there to help. Not only am I there to help, I could steal from behind. And I saw quite a few of that from the clips that we've seen so far. So if he's able to rotate defensively and just close out, I'll take that. 1v1 matchups at the NBA level are already difficult, especially for rookie. We already saw Reeves get attacked defensively. He won a good share of his battles, especially as a rookie, but it's it's tougher to project for someone like Swider. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. But but that three-point shot translating is, is something that feels safer. Uh, yes. You know, just just with how he's played so that's yes, interesting yes. and do, do you more general question do you see players playing in zone as a pro for projecting them defensively or as a con or do you think because 
Swider kind of played both at different times. He was able to hone different skills. How do, do you have a philosophy there? Um, I don't specifically look at that. I watched his interview with the Lakers and he did note how Villanova was more man-to-man defensive base and then Swider yeah. was obviously zone based. And the, the you know quick look on sports references, how his dealing block percentages jumped. And it gives me an idea like, okay, maybe it's tough for me to handle a man assignment, but if I'm able to have awareness of my teammate and other players on the floor, what else can I do of effect defensively off ball instead of, oh, it's this is a point of attack guy, or I'm going to get attacked from this side of the court from a wing. How will I handle it? If he's able to just rotate, make that decision quickly, close out quickly, um, you know, just anything along those lines, that'll help out, you know, but his shooting's so good, you almost have immediate faith that he'll out offense that defense and it'll be worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That would be the hope at least. Another guy that I wanted to ask you about that I've seen rising up mock drafts and, you know, who, who knows what will actually end up happening that, that I've had a good opportunity to watch play a bit is, is Max Christie from Michigan State. What are your thoughts on him? Are you high on him, low on him? How do you see his game translating? So I just remember he, like, I didn't watch too much because I didn't think he declared. And so I know he's a projectable shooter and he's going to be a, a projectable movement shooter down the line as well. I don't think the stats necessarily reflect on how well he can actually be at the NBA level. And to be honest, I've come across a lot of that this year in particular, where some guys will have low assist rates or not the greatest percentages, whatever it might be, like Patrick Baldwin Jr. But you, when you watch them play and you see the kind of contests or you know their responsibilities on offense or on defense, you can easily project like, oh, that guy can, that's his move. Oh, he has, he can link these moves together to create a no-bit shot. That's great. I think in Max Christie, you know, you're going to get some of that, at least from a st statistical point of view. So it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up late first or early second, whatever it might be. I just think right now, specifically for the Lakers, they're probably going to prioritize defense a little bit more, or especially in terms of uh, physicality and just being at a certain level of competence to hold uh, hold down defensively at a certain position. Yeah, it's I'm I'm glad you mentioned like the system thing. I know for Michigan State, like it, they'll let their wings attack a little bit, but it's often just like get it back to the point guard, yeah. give it back to Tyson Walker, yeah. give it back to AJ Hogard. Let that like they Michigan State point guards also always have like super high assist rates, and like it seems like everyone else's are deflated. But I don't, I, I haven't looked yeah. at the data, but that's what it just feels like watching them play. They try something, doesn't work, get it back to the point guard and let them figure out what the hell is next. Um, so last, I want to get into, I think you've given us a couple names to keep an eye out for. And, and you know, we can at the end, shout out the other podcast people should be cramming before the draft that you've appeared on so they can get, you know, build up that list of guys. I wanted to ask you, are there any players that within the Lakers kind of range of picking, you are much higher than consensus on or much lower than consensus on that you haven't mentioned already that would be notable in one way or the other? Uh, so uh, one of the players that I wrote about last week on, on Lakers draft on my Substack is uh, Jabari Walker. And he came out as a mid 30% three-point shooter. I think it's majority catch and shoot, which is fine. 
But the thing is, I'm still confident in his ability defensively and just doing a, a lot of things uh, on the floor. I like what we saw out of Stanley Johnson last year, providing energy and just some degree of uh, defensive versatility within that. Jabari mm -hmm. provides that as well. I think he was uh, six, six and a half without shoes. I know he has a, a, you know, a pretty long wingspan, but he looked comfortable switching between wings all the way down to bigs. And uh, I usually write on my Substack like I'm not some defensive guru. I just, I just put it in this kind of order. Most important awareness, feet, uh, chest, then hands. Right. So you put it in that relative order. You're going to stay away from your well. One, the player should be in position. They're going to avoid some degree of foul trouble. They'll they'll be better at forcing turnovers, and chances are they'll probably have a better chance of getting a rebound. So when you look at defense that way, Jabari does all of that. I don't worry about him closing out because I know he closes out well. He doesn't, you know, commit a lot of fouls that way. Um, usually when you ask smaller players to defend bigs, you just want them to hold position and then just put their hands straight up. Just don't jump. Don't give up the position. Just show resistance and hold your spot. He does that. And then when he gets switched on to guards and other wings, it's the same thing. Awareness, feet, chest. And the thing is, you can almost see it go in that order as guys are trying to attack him, whether it's off, the, well, usually off the dribble anyway. And he's able to avoid those fouls and provide a lot of energy and motor on the floor. Sometimes the Lakers, I mean, we would love the best three-point shooters available for this team, especially, and to draw gravity. But the second aspect to that is, I just wanted to see some energy on the floor and force some turnovers and get some extra possessions because that's another way of, it's not like just getting guys extra possession, like give LeBron an extra possession. What's that going to do, right? I, I find it, I would find it more disheartening for guys crashing the boards on the, on, on the offensive glass and just be like, oh, dude, I got to deal with AD and LeBron again, like on this offensive set with 14 seconds on the clock. So there's an element to that. And the idea of I have Stanley, here's Jabari, right? And I'm not asking much for rookies. It would be amazing if they could play 10 to 20 minutes in certain uh, specific lineups. But Stanley, Jabari, and then here, and then have Reeves, three high motor defensive capable guys on the floor next to AD and LeBron. I will happily run with that for six minute stretches of a game and then see what happens because something tells me there's going to be a lot more positive outcome out of it. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Mike. You've given us a, a lot of interesting names to keep an eye out for types of players, different, you know, we know where we kind of want the Lakers to be coming in at. Um, hey, hey, one, one last thing. All right. I, request. I figure you're the expert. Okay. Um, can you, can you speak to me on Gabe Brown? So Gabra and Zoom might kick us off here in a second. I don't, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm currently trying to upgrade. Um, so Gabe Brown, I like him as a shooter. I don't like him once he puts the ball on the floor, which hurt him at Michigan State. It won't hurt him as much for the Lakers. And I, I thought he was a strong, consistent defender. He's a pretty big guy for, for his position, um, at least from a college standpoint and, and put up a consistent effort there. He almost surprised you in that he was their leading scorer in the season. Cause he wasn't the yep. focal point. He was almost their leading scorer by being a role player and yep. got a bunch of volume off screen stuff, made good reads there, good movement shooter and would knock down easy shots, tough shots and a catch and shoot kind of way. So he's someone that like, 
I don't know, like I'm not the highest on, I, I wasn't watching him like this guy's a future like NBA star or starter, but so I understand why he didn't quite pop off the screen as much in college, but the translation to the NBA makes a lot of sense. So he's one of those guys that you talk about like high volume role player dudes. Actually, I don't, I don't know if people talk about that, but he was one of those. Um, he worked within their system. He did his job, was really good at it. At times he would disappear though in games because other teams would focus on taking him away or they would really attack his shot and make him go off the dribble. And that just wasn't his game. And at Michigan State, when he was their leading scorer, that it didn't work. It kind of fell apart. For the Lakers, you're never going to be seeing him defended that way unless yeah. there are a lot of injuries and we're having a really, really bad time next season. So I, yeah, I like it, him as, as a potential guy to see, keep an eye on. Yeah, uh, I mean, me too. I mean, just to wind this, wind this really quick, I mean, for South Bay, they're really good at defending, uh, finding players that defend and high, have high motor. And I think I've mentioned Gary Payne too and um, Caruso and uh, David Wadva. And then mm -hmm. there's guys like Amino Muhammad who are, who's a guard from Georgetown that plays bigger than his actual size. We wish the shooting touch was there, but all these guys made the league. Why can't it be this guy as well? So yeah. there's a lot of avenues for the Lakers, especially in terms of fulfilling the roster. And so, I mean, sure, we're looking for one guy, but it would be really, really sweet if there were two or three. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like, if they could, like, buy two picks and then, like, sign two undrafted guys, just, like, throw as many darts at the dartboard as you can. Get them in the yeah. system. Maybe they don't contribute this year, but, like, grab as much talent as you can possibly get. Yeah, I, I mean, in terms of a playoff roster, I'm hoping to get nine guys, right? I, do I really expect that to be a rookie if we're lucky? But, you know, I think that there's the end of roster where, hey, if you have a Jabari Walker or you have a Keon Ellis, maybe they play spot playoff minutes because that's really what the goal is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll take those guys because I, I feel confident in their defensive ability. But there's also that other part where, hey, this guy can probably do something and we need youth on the team and energy as well. These guys have it. Why not take the shot? If it's not with the parent team, South Bay is a great spot. I mean, they've put guys in the league before. So either direction, it'd be a great situation overall. Yeah. And, and I mean, just in these finals, we saw, and I mean, we're not in the best position to talk, but we saw a pretty pathetic yeah. franchise not have depth and had like, several you know great starter caliber guys and like only two or three players they even trusted off their bench maybe two players they trusted off their bench having yeah. those extra dudes that you just kind of got for free because they were on drafted free agents or you develop them that you can just have in that rotation play spot minutes be you know your eighth your ninth your tenth guy those are important for for a playoff run so just finding capable players and and getting back to what we were talking about earlier other teams may not be drafting, looking for someone who's going to be an eighth guy, ninth guy, tenth guy. They're looking for, okay, who's going to be my future first guy in the rotation yeah. or second or third. So in a way, there's somewhat of a marketing efficiency because your your goal is a little bit different from from other teams. Yeah, but uh, the way that the Lakers have drafted and, and fortunately with how I've also viewed the draft for the past several years, taking advantage of those efficiencies and just finding NBA players that are confident, whether it's you know, Talon Horton Tucker in the mid-second round, most, and then most recently with Austin Reeves. And then, um, oh, man, there's also another player that actually made the Houston Rockets, and he was actually on the South Bay team for just a little bit and had, had practice, and he's actually a wing player. But uh, it starts with a Q. Um, there, but, you know, oh, I got to look it up. We already reset. 
<laughs> yeah, who is it? I don't know what you're talking about, Mike. Trevlin this is Queen. this is gonna flawlessly be edited. <laughs> yeah, Trevlin Queen is the guy. Ah, uh, okay. Right. So he got the contract with Houston, but sure, he's you know not 240 pounds, but six 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 seven long arms, competent three point shot, really good in a full court press or three quarter court press because that's where he forces turnovers. Like those are the kind of guys the Lakers are generally looking for, and they had him on the South Bay team, and then you got an NBA contract. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's always that opportunity there. And honestly, if the Lakers made the playoffs, it wouldn't surprise me if he was able to play six minutes in a playoff game, right? Just someone who could just be up front, play some press defense, and then have some length on the floor. And he actually got better as a movement shooter, which just made it a little bit more disheartening. So you never know how these guys develop and how quickly they do. But when they get mm-hmm. to that point, it's out, and you had that opportunity to keep them, it's a little bit tougher to watch for, as a as a Laker fan altogether. Yeah. Let alone the playoffs and everything else. So. Right. Right. Well, thank you, Mike. Mike, for all the great insight. Why don't you, before we hop off, share with everyone all of the various places they can find your <laughs> other draft analysis, written audio, video. I don't, where, where can they, if if someone's like, oh man, the drafts this week, I didn't realize it. I need to start prepping right now the way I do for like my fantasy football draft. And I just like cram, cram, cram. <laughs> Where should they be finding your stuff? So uh, find me at Canyon driver on Twitter. Uh, I have a Substack, So lakersdraft.substack.com. It's free. I, I love sharing it with the fans and I love the devoted fans that ask me questions all the time. I can't always respond to all of them, especially in terms of game tape, but I love how, how loyal they are. And I appreciate them a lot. Um, I was also on the Laker film room podcast. The Kamenetsky Brothers podcast is going to be coming out, I believe, tomorrow, so the, the 22nd. And then Silver Screen and Roll with Jacob Rude. We had another just chill chill uh, draft workout session with, with that whole thing. And I think I, I was talking about Keon Ellis and David Roddy back then, too. And Keon Ellis is someone, is an archetype that we can relate to and we understand. David Roddy would be a whole different discussion altogether, but... You know, I'd be really interested on what your thoughts on him, but you know, we'll save it for Twitter. I love it. I love that you're teasing <laughs> other podcast appearances that you're making. This is great. This is great stuff, Mike. Go follow him on Twitter. Excellent insight. Go follow his Substack. Um, just, just constant, great stream of of draft information. And he's like the Lakers draft guy. And it's it, it's awesome to have him part of the community and get that that insight, that perspective. Always know someone who will know everybody's wingspan in the room. Um, so (laughs) thank you again, Mike, um, this has gone out public to everyone, but if you want to join the Lakers exceptionalism podcast, uh, discord, where we'll continue discussion and talk prospects. And some of the questions I asked today were from people in there, you know, planting questions. Um, and Mike, you're in there. I don't know when you've been in there most recently, but, uh, I know like Harrison's in there and. And there's some other folks that like hop in and out. I I, I, I take a peek. It's just, it's just a lot of game tape recently. That's all that it is. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no. uh, Mike's in there sometimes. Um, I think Raj was in there for a bit. I I don't know. They're different Lakers, Twitter people, but like just great community and, and we'll continue having a great off season. We're doing our team for a day thing where we look at like today we did, who do we do today? Uh, Let me pull it up. We did Phoenix, Utah, Cleveland, and Atlanta I think where we said okay we're the Hawks what are we doing with our own free agents do we like do we play what what do we think this play option will do 
are we, you know, getting rid of this guy on a team option? Do we guarantee that guy's deal? How much are we willing to offer this player? Whatever, who are we letting walk and what do we need? And, and after we go through every team, we know how much spending power they have and who they need. And then once we have that for 30 teams, we can, you know, understand, all right, well, if the Lakers need a wing, can they go after Nick Batum? Can they go after Otto Porter Jr.? Or will it be some disappointing guy that nobody's going to be really happy about? Like what, (laughs) being able to better calibrate. Um, So check that out. Um, You can get in in the Discord just by uh, sending a five-star review of the podcast to me, Tom, or the Laker Sex Pod uh, Twitter account, which I do not run. Um, (laughs) I like to make that point because it interacts with me and I don't want people to think I'm just like talking to myself. So. Get in on that action. Thank you, everyone in there for supporting us. Thank you again, Mike, for joining. We will see you next time. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.